0: All right, well, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for um, how you continue to reveal your truth, how you continue to uh, deepen our understanding. And Father, we just ask that as we study about who you are and and how we relate with that, that you continue to uh, speak through me, and it's not me myself. So it's in your son's name we pray all this. Amen. All right. So I just kind of, I titled it Saints for Life uh, because that's kind of what we are. Um, Not kind of, that is what we are. (laughs) I hope so. So so this is an encouragement to the saints of the sons of the Most High. Um, As I was listening to Pastor Ron this week, I was amazed at what the Spirit was showcasing, and while it wasn't anything earth-shattering, it was one of those light bulb moments, so I'm going to take you on that journey, Uh, he was speaking of the Spirit of God and how it interacts with the Spirit within us. So today I'm just going to share what I found out after I dug into the Word about these different aspects of how we as saints function in our roles as sons of God. So if your study showed you some new things, feel free to interject. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is stated as the Ruach of Elohim. Uh, it's also, so we translate that as the breath or wind of God's heart. So this conjures up, in my head, some visions of God breathing uh, His Spirit upon an individual. Um, but if we look at the Word, His Spirit would fill certain individuals, and we're going to look at a few of those. So um, Joseph is the first one uh, who was made second in command over Egypt. And so in Genesis 41, 38 through 39, it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find a one as this, or such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee, thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. So you even have the rulers of Modern day earth as it was, recognizing um, after Joseph had done some interpretation of, uh, for this Pharaoh that the Spirit of God was upon Joseph. This Pharaoh, not Sparrow. in <laughs> there? <laughs> so um so Joseph was filled with this with his God's spirit um and that's i think that's the first time it was used in conjunction with man um in the Bible, so there are other ways that God filled men with his spirit it was upon craftsmen like Bez- Bezalel and uh Ola, Oliab, and he was talking to Moses when he used this terminology, and he said, "These guys, who are going, to, they're going to build the temple with great uh, craftsmanship through wisdom and knowledge given by the Spirit." And in Exodus thirty-one-three, it says, "And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship." So again, we see that the Spirit of God was filled upon these two gentlemen. Then uh, if we go further into uh, Numbers 24-2, we come across the Spirit of God being filled upon prophets like Balaam, who was hired to actually curse Israel. And I don't know if you guys remember that story, uh, but... um, and I'm not going to remember who hired him, but he was trying to squash Israel. He didn't like that they were numerous, and so he hired Baal, who was a prophet for hire, obviously, um, to curse Israel. But every time he would open his mouth, he would bless Israel. And so um, in Numbers 24-2 it says, And Balaam lifted up his eyes, And he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And again, that came upon him is still that filled uh, capacity. So, and because of this, Balaam was not able to follow through on his hired assignment, and uh, the gentleman who hired him got very wroth and angry, (laughs) and was like, what is your problem? This is not what I asked you to do. So, it's interesting that you've got... um, these several different instances, but this was the, the, the only time in the Bible that it was used of the spirit of God filling people. Um, and then we get into First Samuel and you have uh, how God filled King Saul. So we're at First Samuel 10 verses nine through 10. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go forth from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, A company of prophets met him, and the spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. So again, they came upon him as that filling um, that was given to to Saul. So as he was given another heart, and then fulfilled, and and then he fulfilled the prophetic utterances from Samuel. Yes, did you have something to add? No. Okay. King King Saul had a different aspect. well, I, I think what I wanted to point out there, too, is that filled with the Spirit of God leads into a prophetic utterance in this in sense. This and so this is not the first time that it happened, but um, more like the second or third time.
1: So, uh, That's what I was going to say. Um, yes, I can hear Okay, you. Not only in that one that you just pointed out, that it, it enabled him to actually prophesy the mm-hmm. desire of God's heart. That these other things, every time the Spirit of God came upon somebody or or was in somebody in this way, that it always led to some sort of exploitive type of uh, action, whether in skill and shrewdness in strategies to how to war. I mean, you know, the wisdom, the understanding, their workmanship, it always led to something that was furthering the plan of God.
0: Right. And I think that's what's you know, in, included with, like Joseph. He was able. He was given understanding to not only. I mean, second in command. He was. He'd never been in that position before. That was nothing that he had ever, you know, applied for. Put it that way. And yet, because of his ability to submit to the Father, the Father. And you know, and gave him wisdom and understanding and how to help, basically save Israel is what ended up happening. Save
1: the sons. Yeah, save the and sons. He paved the way for the sons to be able to come through the drought and survive when everyone else was dying. Right. You know, and while it ended up in kind of an interesting situation, still that all was part of of preparing the people for what he was leading them into. Because you
0: figure, like with Joseph. You know, you think about that whole thing. That was such a weird scenario. And yet, if it hadn't been for the brothers having to come back to this authority, who ends up being their brother, there was a humility that God had worked in them. Obviously, in that time frame that they had, from the time they gave Joseph away and lied to their father, there was obviously things that had happened to them. You know, we don't know all that. But when they get to the point of, you know, well, I'm going to keep, and Joseph says, well, I'm going to keep Benjamin, and you just, you go ahead and tell your father, you know, bring your father to me, you know, they were, they were just like, we can't do this again. You know, they knew that there was, there was no way they could leave a second brother behind like they had done the first time. And so that humility allowed is the, the sons that God intended to birth forward to actually be able to be carried forth much further into history than if they had never had that situation occur. So, kind of interesting. Um, and Saul, you know, he he was, well, I, I wanted to get back up to um, Basileel and Olaiab. They, um, they were really the two masterminds, so to speak, obviously in correlation with God, that created the temple. So everything in it that was um, from you know the altars to the show, table of showbread um, to the Ark of the Covenant, even the you know the coverings and everything they were the they were integral in creating those pieces of furniture that. Are um, you know, we haven't personally seen, but you read in the Bible and you're just like, that is intricate, like...
1: But they are types of what is in heaven. We right. have seen that.
0: Yes, yes. And, but to be able to see it and then recreate it, I mean, that was, they had to have that vision given to them from God, because there's no other way you could have had that. Um, so back to King Saul... Um, you know, he was given that other heart, he was able to prophesy, and God used him a lot in that ability, in that venue of prophetic utterance. Um, we're not told what they prophesied. but as being the first king of a nation, um, I imagine it was something that was to move them forward in grace so that they continued to be that nation that God, Uh, was molding after his heart. Um, But he also had a different aspect of the Spirit of God in that later uh, in his reign. And you have where instead of being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit actually broke upon him. Um, And Saul prophesied despite what his flesh had set out to do. So you can see examples of this in 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 through 10. It says, And Saul was very wroth, And the saying displeased him, and he said, Well let me before we get there, let me this is when they just come back from war and the women came out and they were like, Oh, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his ten thousands, and that rubbed him the wrong way. Um, and so here we are. So back to verse eight, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. So that evil spirit is really the ra'ah breath, which means that uh, if we go back to what ra'ah is, it's that ability to discern Tob from ra'ah. Um, so one that can discern uh, between Tobin and Ra. So this verse depicts the war that was pulling at Saul. His flesh was offended, but the spirit of God was having him partner with what he needed to be released in the kingdom despite himself. Um, and I think that that's, It's encouraging in some aspects because you can see that there is an ability to have victory over our own flesh when it comes to, obviously, we don't have to wait for the spirit to break upon us, Um, but given one or the other, I'd rather be filled with God's spirit than have him have to break out upon me so that I'm doing the right thing. Um, And then there's the instance where King Saul sent other men to apprehend David and they ended up with the Spirit of God breaking in upon them and prophesying. So each time that you uh, look at this breaking upon, it really is God continuing his, in spite of this man that, was, that the uh, nation demanded they have, he was going to use their words to further his kingdom and because David had been anointed uh, in that capacity, he wasn't going to um, allow anything at that point to go forward but his his word and what he had planned already for what was to come. Um, so when it, word got back that they couldn't apprehend David because they were prophesying, <laughs> uh so I was like, that's it. I'm going down and uh, I'm going to put my hands on him and, and I'm going to apprehend him. And so in First Samuel 19, 23 through 24, it says, and he went thither to Noah and Ramah and the spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Noah and Ramah and he stripped off his clothes also, this is Saul and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? And so in an ab, absolute, humili, humi, uh, in an absolute uh, action of humility, he was stripped down you know, to just who he was, who God created him to be, and he was proskuneoed and, and prophesying. And so, again, the Spirit of God broke forth upon Saul.
1: Aren't you glad this is like a spiritual thing we have to be now <laughs> instead of a physical thing? I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, you know. Mean, that was the whole point of it, really, right. because how else would you humble a king? You know, I guess he actually was representing what we all should be before the Lord when we prophesy.
0: Right. We should all be that in that spirit of laying. Vulnerable. Vulnerable and naked before the Father. And we've talked about that before, and that's really just a a shedding of everything that we've, the walls that we put up, the, the hurts that we harbor, laying that all down and saying, you know what, Lord, you've placed me here to be prophetic. I only want to speak what is on your heart and allowing that uh, vulnerability between you and the Father to be a partnership. And so, you know, before the Spirit of God was within people, This was, and you got to figure, there was something within Saul that still um, operated with God, because there's, and not that God can't override people, but you figure there was some kind of aspect in him that still wanted to lead as God needed, but this jealousy over David was just, had just blinded him, and so in this aspect, God was like, nope, you know, this is what the the prophetic word will go forth; it will continue, and uh, so he ended up joining them.
1: Um, Makes me think what Pastor Omer was talking about the other day about envy and how he likened it to Old Testament jealousy, and how it can it can be either or. It can be in the natural, which is what Saul was was giving into. Mm-hmm. You know, it consumes you. You want something that's not yours to want it shouldn't be yours to to want but in in the spiritual it's you're all solely focused on wanting what god wants and carrying that out and if only saul could have kept that in his sights rather than allowing his own desires to kind of rise up he would have been a
2: magnanimous king right and just that the words that are used speak to that, because when it says, Saul, I, David, the word for eyed, it does talk about watching with jealousy, but that roots to the word I in mm-hmm. that's been taught on. And then when it says, you know, he stripped off his clothes, the stripped actually talks about, um, it roots back to treachery. You know, so you think about he was taken and it says it can be full or partial nakedness. And we know, again, it's being laid bare before the father but that even from a kingly perspective, you know, they always had the purple robes that signified their identity before the people that garnered them respect in the natural. He was having to set that aside mm-hmm. in any other treachery where he had had his eyes, his purpose set on a twistedness so that he could be before the father bear and really prophesy the breath of God's heart, the right. father's intent.
0: And so we can take away from that. You know, that's really where we need to stay when we go into, you know, not just when we go into the nations, when we are, you know, having conversations. And, you know, that's a. sometimes it's a hard thing to do because our emotions want to sweep us up and carry us away. And it's like, you know, we need to be those individuals who can say, yeah, that evokes emotion in me too. But, Lord, what is it that you want to showcase in this moment? And I think it's a—it's really a different way to connect with people because rather than connecting with people emotionally um, or be about a cause, it really is about redirecting people's perspective so that it's not still focused on the atrocity that was committed or the unfairness that was... Um, seen or done, because we've got a lot of that going on right now. And it's so easy to be distracted by the craziness that you just makes you want to go, why? <laughs> um, and so there really is a, a refining, I think, that God's wanting to do with the saints in general, is just to get to that point where, You know, even our conversations. Well, you know, you can relate, but that doesn't mean we have to commiserate. And uh, it's still a work in progress, obviously. But I think that's that's where God's kind of showcasing, shining the light on us at this point, of saying, "Yeah, what you're doing is is not that what we haven't been. it's, It's not that what we've been doing." is not enough. But there's always we always want to be in that point of looking more like Jesus. And really he wasn't pulled into the conversations of the day that were, you know, like the woman at the well where it was like you know, we worship here and they say we worship here and and he was like, "Yeah, but there's going to be a day where, you know, it doesn't matter where you are." Because you're going to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And so it, was re- it really just took the whole argument and deflated it and put it back into perspective of the kingdom reality. Um, that we're still wrapping our carnal minds around. Um, so if we go back to 2 Chronicles 2420, um, Zechariah he was. This is a little different because he wasn't being broken upon, and he wasn't being filled necessarily. But it was the spirit of God wrapped around, or clothed, this son of a priest to deliver a warning to Israel. So it's, I imagine it's something like a mantle that was, or something that engulfed, engulfed him. Um, so verse twenty says, "And the spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jeodiah, the priest, which stood above." The people and said unto them, "Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He hath also forsaken you." So this this whole backstory, um, we kind of talked about it a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. Um, was this Z- Zachariah was talking to Joash, and Joash had been saved. You know, when he, he came to power when he was very young. So he was eight, I think, when he took the throne. And he was, Zechariah's father raised Joash, basically, in the ways of, of God. And at this point, um, Jeodiah had died. And his son, Zechariah, came and said, you know, Joash, because that mindset was so prevalent to worship Baal, to, you know, run after the things of darkness. Um, You know, once that leader was taken out, so really, Joash really hadn't, you know, he was, he wanted the things to be the way God wanted them until there wasn't that influence. And so all it made me think is, you know, there was, he wasn't continuing to surround himself with people who were pursuing the same thing. And so then the cares of the world came in and he was like, well, this is how everybody else is doing it. And so um, when Zechariah came to him and said, gave this uh, warning, he was like, Yeah, I don't like that warning either. And so he had him killed. Um, you know, again, though, Zechariah was, I don't think it was just a, a one off. I really think God had a prophetic. Again, he was giving a prophetic utterance. Uh, It set up a chain of events in history, but I don't think it was a, um, well, there goes another one. You know, I don't think that's how God looked at him. I think he was, you know, using him in that time frame to set forth events that would follow so they were pretty interesting finds when I was looking through this. Um, I didn't list all of them with what Kemp talked about the Spirit of God. Um, but when, you go, when we go to the time of Christ, we find here that the Spirit of God is translated as the pneuma of Theos. <clears throat> and in Matthew uh, 3.16, Jesus experienced this first when he was obedient to the Father. <clears throat> and it says, and Jesus when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So the Spirit of God descending like a dove, um, again, this was more of a, a, you know, there were people who saw it, so it was a physical manifestation, um, but I think that that was obviously more for our viewing <laughs> and more of a show highlighting of those that would walk after him was that, yes, I am now, you know, this is my son, this is who, um, this is how you need to to focus and how I'm going to move forward from here.
1: I And I think it might be a little more than that too. I know we, we know that Jesus was God, but on right. earth he was also man and had to go through everything that we did. And so in this case, when you look at that word lighting, it means that the Spirit of God found a place within him. In other words, he had an opening that welcomed the Spirit of God because not everybody does. True. And it found a place where it could influence him. So that that really meant he wasn't, because he was God before, but he was God a man, but he still he still had to submit, he still had to to um, provide a place of abiding for the Spirit of God, so I think it was more than just for us to view as well that that was also a part a part of it, mm-hmm. but that he had to go through everything that we would have to, even though the spirit wasn't yet you know indwelling at this point it he still had to welcome the spirit into his life and let it influence every every decision that he made.
0: Which made me think about, um, you know, pastor Ron talked about that travailing and how, you know, the spirit comes upon, you know, well, you can feel when it's not just you praying or your spirit praying, but it's actually God praying through you. And, you know, our mind's always trying to get us to abort that and, you know, focus on something else. But you can, the it, it intensive, you're like your prayer language intensifies and there's a, um, like it comes really from your ma'a. Like you can feel the difference. And I think that that's, I was like, you know, maybe that's what God's really trying to get us to cognitively go, oh, okay, this is what that is. Because I think that's the, when you know Jesus allowed that place of abiding within him, that ability to, to say, yes, really, I only want what you want. I'm only here. If this is the start of the ministry, then let's go do what you have set out for me to do while I'm here. And I think as we move forward, I think there's going to be that capacity that God's going to uh, open up within each of us to be able to, because um, I think that's what it was that was that healing. I think that's what the key was for, you know, being able to look into a crowd and go, you know what, you've been earmarked to uh, be a son, to be part of God's kingdom in establishing something here. And so then they were healed. And it wasn't just physical physical healing as we know, but it was like they were no longer stuck but they were able to actually move freely in the spirit and be who God had created them to be from the beginning. And I think that that's gonna kind of be more of something that we have more interactions with. My thought process is as I've been listening to all this, but um, back to the teaching. In Romans 8 and 9, we have Paul talking to us about the Spirit of God that now dwells within us, and he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so we notice that we no longer need to have the Spirit of God move upon us as our spiritual fathers did, for now we can function as sons of God who harbor the Spirit of God within we get the privilege to operate and view what's going on around us with eyes that belial what we can see physically. And as we've maneuvered through these past four years, you can see how those who choose to operate um, in the spirit haven't fallen prey to the fears and cares of this world. And that's not to say we haven't battled our way through the circumstances because we've had to overcome to walk victorious. And um, I found what pastor ron said kind of resonated he's like you know jesus is not up there interceding so that everything becomes smooth he's interceding so that we can overcome and in that victory realize that there is a you know there is a strength that we've now gained there's a skill that we've now commanded and so the next thing that we encounter is a way for us to overcome with greater skill and accuracy but you don't get that from just having someone tell you or (laughs) show you you know we have to do and so it's a very hands-on walk that we have Um,
1: I think that little word in is really important too because if you but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit Mm -hmm. because it really talks about being positionally fixed You are not positionally, we are not positionally fixed in the flesh. We are positionally fixed in the Spirit. That is our destiny. That is what we've been ordained for. That is the stance we choose to take. And even those words, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, that if so be talks about um, an abundance or a thoroughness of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. So... I mean, there is, he, he has given us every bit of what we need in the spirit to stay in that position and to function and to move and to move forward in grace. And that's really what helps us echo the spirit of Christ, the spirit of sons. Right.
0: The spirit of the anointed. And that really is a, a dynamic mind shift. Because um, sometimes I think our our tendency, our default, is to look at things from a a, a position of whack, and whether that's because of how we were brought up, or you know, the church we sat in, or um, just our own carnal way that we think about life, um, to realize that. We really have been set on a course when you know when we said yes to sonship, when we said yes to this walk of intercession, God provided everything that we were ever going to need, and so we don't ever come to a place that he's positioned us with um, with a deficiency. you know we always have everything we need to be successful. And so then the only thing that keeps us being unsuccessful is ourselves and how we're in our own perspective. And whether or not we're going to allow God to move in that moment or we abscond it and allow our flesh to take over
1: instead. I think it's interesting too because so many people think that once you're born again, that (laughs) you're automatically a son of God. Right, but this this second part of this said, if you're not echoing the breath of a son, you're not a son. Right, that's basically it. You're not a son.
0: And I found it interesting because I did a side study on saints and realized that whether by design or just um, ignorance, they absconded that word, and so saints was. Saints are who are going to be at the right hand of the Father in the end. They were prophesied about in the beginning of, of the Bible. Yeah, they're at the right hand now. And I don't know if it's because we had saints labeled as these icons that, you know, uh, St. Saint Michael, St.... Saint, you know, right. And so then we, you know, then you realize, okay, so then man veered away from saints and we became Christians? So then you get to the Bible and you're reading and you're like, I don't see the word Christian anywhere. Well, no, because you're saints. <laughs> but in saints, you have to also be those who are pursuing the heart of the Father. And you don't just, as you said, you're not just born again and voila, you're a saint. I think that really is, it's more of a hot pursuit. It's a a passionate pursuit after God the Father. Now, what it looks like is going to be different, but it really is those who are not just going to pay their dues and and feel good about what they're doing now or what they're promoting now, but it's really about those who are like, you know what? I really only want God's will. I really only want what the Father's looking to establish. And I'm thankful that we are, you know, at this point. Because I do know the other lacked so much. You know, you just felt always that you just weren't enough. And now in sonship, you realize no, no, we are who, you know, God created us to be. There is the only lacking part is what am I willing to lay down? What am I willing to give up in order to continue to move forward with God?
1: I think that twisting that came through. I think Rome had a lot to do with it, but the, the perspective of all that. But the Catholic, um, which is not to just down Catholics because mm-hmm. the Protestants split off of that and we have the this, same a lot of the same things. We just we just call them different names and treat, yeah, they're the same type of things that impede our growth. Um, but I know when I was growing up, and Kim, you can, you can help me on this since you were raised Catholic, most of the kids I hung around with that I knew that were Catholic, they didn't I think deep down they considered consider themselves Christians surely, but they never call themselves Christians. They refer to themselves as Catholics. That was their that was their identity. It right. wasn't Christian. It was a, a Catholic.
0: And and you have people who like who, well I'm a Baptist. Well I'm a Protestant. Well I'm a Methodist. Your identity becomes a label. Everyone's looking to to fit into a group. And God's saying, you don't need any of that. What you need is a relationship with me. My group. my group. Be my group. Be my saints. And so it always makes me think back to this book we had and it was about these uh they call Wickham Wiccans or something. And so they would all give each other stars or or hearts or circles. And it was Lucado, a Max you are uh, Yeah, you were And Max Lucado, you yeah, are you special. Are yeah. special. Yeah. Uh, they were they were little. I guess, for lack of a better word, they were like wooden puppets, so to speak. But they were anyway wooden people. Um, and the whole point was, you know, they were judging each other about, well, you're you're special because you can do this, or you're not special because you don't have any stars on you, and. The whole point being, you know, there was this one that nothing stuck, not, none of the stickers stuck. And this one other puppet was like, well, why can't, why don't they stick to you? And she's like, well, because I go and talk with the maker, you know, the creator, and he tells me who I am. And so then I don't have to worry about what other, what everybody else thinks. And really the reality is, you know, we put so much emphasis, whether we, th- you know, consciously do it or not, about how other people view us, what other people think. You know, is this going to offend some people? And the reality is, you know, as long as we are aligned with God's heart, people's reactions and responses are going to be what they will be. It really is, you know, as long as we're operating steadfastly in the spirit, it's going to offend some people. You know, you're not going to have everyone like you because of your unpopular opinion, or popular opinion, Um but it's interesting in these in this time frame how that's becoming more of a in the natural. You've got more people standing up, going, "I'm I'm done kowtowing to what what we're allowed to say or what's okay to say." Um, but in the spiritual, I think it's even more prominent that you know we really make sure that what our actions and what we are doing and what we prioritize is really the first things first. You know, God first and what he's asking us to do. And then everything else that's trying to press in and push upon us, you know, either falls away or gets in line. You know, it's one of those, you know, you put your priority first and then everything else follows suit.
2: I was just thinking, you know, but that mindset too, of I belong to this group of people, having it be about that versus that point of relationship. That was Israel's struggle yes. as well. Because even with Moses, well, you go talk to God for us. They didn't want to invest in that personal point of relationship. They wanted to be part of the of Israel. Have the benefits and the blessings of it, but not have to make the sacrifice to spend the time in relationship. And then they wanted a king because they also wanted somebody to lead them and hear from God and them not have to invest personally and yet still be part of the group. And so it's always, you know, which is interesting because it was the breath of God's heart. It wasn't the breath of his plans and purpose that was you know, moving upon the people in the Old Testament. It was his heart that desired relationship, that desired to impart their identity as sons, as those who would know, you know, who he made them to be, how they were to partner with him. And so that's always what he's been about. It's always been about that partnership and being in relation to his heart. And that's what we're echoing. That's And again, so the identity isn't in the people group, right? But there's definitely blessings on the people group because of if you have the leadership or you have people and authority that are in commune with God, it's like there's going to be a natural point of blessing that trickles down because of that obedience. I mean, I think we've seen that in our nation that even as saints who are established because of our obedience and our partnership with the Father for what he's doing, I firmly believe that's why Florida has been blessed and that's why Texas, you know, and all these places where you have earthly rulers who do not have any form of relationship and yet you're seeing there's still points of blessing because you have people established who are really partnering with the father's intent and not that it's about the physical blessing but just that you know there is that and so you have people that grab on to being part of that group but there's no investment on their part for the relationship for their identity so that they can function in the same points of authority which is what the father always wants to give And the enemy wants to prevent. (laughs) Right.
0: And obviously there was some kind of something, I mean, relationship going on in the camp at some point because, you know, Aaron came and was like, they're prophesying. And he's like, I wish all of you would prophesy. That means all of you are, you know, pressing into God and being able to, you know, show forth his word, which would be so much more better than just complaining and murmuring (laughs) every time something goes wrong
3: yeah I was just I was just thinking about um, the teaching of Jesus. You're talking about people aren't going to like what you say all the time and and he was he was teaching that blessed are ye when men shall hate you mm-hmm. and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the sons of man's sake. And you know that <laughs> that's an amazing place to be is uh, to know that you're going to be hated. And in verse just a few verses later on, he says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So to be popular, to be accepted, is not a good thing. You know, we, we need to expect to be set apart and say, No, you're not one of us.
0: Yay! Right. <laughs>
3: Thank you for noticing.
0: And that's that Hagios. That's that that holy. That set apart. Um, that we know, he's done for us. Um, in Romans eight fourteen through seventeen, it says, "For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the Spirit of bondage, bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption." whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And there you go. You have, uh, you know, being led by the Spirit, that we are those who echo God's heart. Um, I love the fact that that spirit of bondage really doesn't have an effect on us. You know, The there was a phrasing of where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And really that freedom only comes when you lay aside all the um, restrictions that we place upon ourselves about what we can and can't do and realize that God can do anything. And because God can do anything, We were in that position where there really is, there is, there's a freedom to move on his winds that before we didn't understand, we yearned for something like that, but we weren't, we didn't have the knowledge of what that looked like. And so it was just this, there's got to be more that burned within us and we, and we just didn't know. Um, the spirit of adoption was pretty cool. I, as I looked up, it, it really roots back to the tithemi of sons. So we have received the breath to tithe into our hystemis as sons, knowing that the Father has placed us specifically in our terios to stake out His kingdom. That's a pretty sure footing of foundation for each of us, and we can call upon that intimacy of relationship as we move forward with Him. Galatians 4, 5-7 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son, and to your, heart, your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So again, we have that to that theme of being one who echoes his heart in those positions of... Uh, where he's placed us, we can, and that's what we're looking to cultivate in those around the world. Not just so that they, um, as Pastor home was saying, not just so we have bigger numbers, because really, you go back to who the, the saints. There's only ten thousand of them that it talks about. So <laughs> seven billion people, ten thousand—that's a really small number. Um, but what? is really the the crux or the, the heart of it is knowing that for, for those that we talk to, to catch that vision that, you know what, you have been called to be a son. What does that mean? That means that you were called to have that identity that supersedes anything you've known, that supersedes anything you've labeled yourself in the past. It's, uh, you know, you were called forth from the beginning of time. And because of that, God's opening His hand to you and saying, "Please partner with Me, and let's establish the kingdom," because the enemy has—you know—there's. We, we're in a time of darkness, the gross darkness. I believe we're on the cusp of. I don't. I have no ability to even imagine what more it could look like. Um, I'm sure it can become more base than what it is now, but it just seems it's so dark, and you realize. You know, the enemy has absconded the earth. He's been allowed to do that. And now God's saying, the harvest is ripe. It is now my time for the sons to rise up, for them to establish themselves firmly, not so that we can say, oh, look how big we are, but so that we can say, hey, we are all partnered for what God wants to establish in establishing his kingdom, what he's wanted from the beginning of time. And so things that have been lost because there wasn't a voice because there, you know, he's always looking for those who will partner with him. You know, that really is the objective of the network. And I think that that's amazing because, you know, it really, you know, seven years ago we were given this vision of Elijah's and Elisha's, you know, holding that torch of truth and really going forward. And you know, as we've looked through the history There's always been the opportunity for this to occur, but it's always fallen apart at some point. And so this is really, I think, the time frame that God's saying this is going to be where the Elijahs and Elishas are actually working together and moving forward.
1: I think this darkness has created an um, opportunity or yearning in people to want to know their identity. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's... Of course, the enemy's in there with all types of suggestions, and people are t- taking them. But Adrian and I were talking about this last night. as She was sharing with one of her patient's moms. One of the things that, that never changes, never changes, everything else around us, everyone else's identity, you can see it change. They can't decide if they're male or female or it or a dog or whatever. But the one thing that never changes is a relationship with God, is, is him in us. And who he's called us to be, Great. and if if you can begin to seek God, and, and you know this is this is what we're this is the atmosphere we're in right now. People that are really yearning for who am I really, and for those that will turn, make themselves open to the possibilities of God, the one that created them, they're the ones that will be able to step into sonship. Right. So really, this darkness is probably the one of the most brutal. Frutal. Fruitful, fruitful. <laughs> well, I don't know where that word came from. Fertile and yeah, fertile and fruitful is fruitful. Fruitful points of time that we've ever been in. in. I'm going to add that to my dictionary. Yes, <laughs> we'll put that in line upon line. An apple, fruitful. <laughs> and and it, it's true.
0: You know, when you have when things are going well, people don't dwell on their identity. They don't dwell on their need for secu- security, because they feel secure. They feel okay where they are. And when you have tribulation, there is a more of an opportunity for people to go, oh, this is not going so well. Oh, So maybe I've got to rethink this, <laughs> because I feel like we're dr- on a drowning ship, and I really don't want to go down with it.
1: That's um, well, kind of where we were before Sunship we can't, we knew there was more we just didn't know what it was we were searching in all kinds of different places and trying different things you know that the church, modern church world offered and none of them were were satisfying they all it was all a little they all off were, yeah they were somewhere. all a little off and left you wanting still and which is a big difference from wanting more of him right. being full and hungry right you never got you never got full. Yeah. Well, you always walked away scratching your head going, did I, do I fit in there? But that that... was still the precursor of, of stepping in, knowing there's got to be more. God surely had more in mind than this. Right. And right. He did. He did. (laughs) He did. When you don't have to question how that
0: fits in the Bible, because it already supports and dovetails with everything. You're like. I don't have to scratch my head and go, what was he really talking about? Is that what they were talking about? Are we sure that that's everything? Because what about this? Those questions all dissipated when we stepped into sonship, because really what God was showcasing, there wasn't any discrepancies. You didn't have to worry about, well, we know he says this in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there was none of that. Because you could see how it supported from the very beginning what God has continued to drive, which is always relationship with him. Um, I'm excited that the Elishas um, are going to be vibrant, hungry, and desirous of God's ways. And I think how we move in this, this coming year, this year that we're in, is going to you know, be something like we've never encountered before. Um, Another verse that caught my eye was this one in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things we which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but with the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And it had me thinking about how we connect as the body of Christ, and how really that, that term was such a vague term before sonship. Because body of Christ, you're like, oh, okay, so how does that really work? You know, you're seeing all the divisions of what people believe and what they think, and you're just like, all right, I guess. Um, but those who have aligned themselves with God's ways and heart truly have a camaraderie with us that goes beyond our personal preferences. So when teachings are released, there's an acceptance of what God's revealing. There's an application of stretching ourselves to be more spirit-led. And we bond with other saints, not because we are all like the same things, um, but because we're all pursuing his heart. So it had me also thinking about how God's going to continue to use our spirits connected to his in doing greater things than Jesus did. And as we continue to be refined in our spirits, there really is a key there in being able to hone in on that ability to function with him outside of of who we are, meaning our emotions and our our thought processes.
1: I think another important um, phrase to, to look at there is, now we have received, because that is the word lumbano, which really means the responsibility is not just holding your hand right. out and somebody places something in it and you go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, It's you grab hold of it. You know, all of us have gotten a gift that we've opened and gone, oh, that's nice, and then promptly set it aside and never used it again because it really wasn't of maybe some relevance or usefulness to us or whatever. But this is something that we have a responsibility to reach out and take, <clears throat> grab hold of and make it ours. Right. And um, that is so, for the whole objective is to know the deeper things of God's heart. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Right. Because, again, so many believers think it's just about, well, I'll just take that free gift and I won't do anything with it. I mean, I'll pet it and I'll adore it and I'll sing to it you know and i may even invest a little money in it once in a while but as far as giving my whole self to it and grabbing hold of it and saying i've got to know the deeper things of god there's there's a breakdown in communication there it's not even connected together no. what what the teaching yeah. has turned into and and this is this is really our privilege and this is what sons are realizing when they hear the message it's my responsibility to reach out and take hold of this and, and embrace it and make it a part of my identity.
0: Right. It's not just something to add to your repertoire of, oh, okay, I guess I'll be in that camp too. I mean, again, it goes back to, it's not a label for label's sake. It is it is a calling of who God intended us to function as in the now.
3: Yeah, and, and the to- you know, follow through with what Vicki was saying. You know, you get a gift that you don't need or don't see the value in. You don't take it and and begin to use it. You set it aside, and and so you know this this position of receiving from God and and grasping it is because we see the value in it. <clears throat> we see how it is to be used, and we see ourselves using it. And 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 uh, you know, this is this is what God has called us to do. Is is to see ourselves partnering with him, see how we fit in, and then giving ourselves to that position. Not to uh, augment who we are, but to augment who Father is. And, and in that sense, uh, we, we not only take a hold of it, we, we take a hold of it in the right way. You know, We don't take a hold of a sword by the blade, we take it by the handle. And, and in that, we are able then to expertly use that sword and, and so, what God gives us is not um, is not something to to uh, uh, you know admire. It is something that we are to incorporate in our daily uh, walk with Him, and and this is this is something we see as valuable. It's like my bare feet are hurting on the sock, uh, on these rocks. Oh, here's some shoes, so I'm going to put them in my pocket, and, and you know. Use them sometime, but this is saying, Oh, I'm going to stick these on my feet right now so that I can move quicker and move better over these rocks and my feet will be preserved.
2: Right. I was just going to say, and in that, it's always a choice because the, you know, in Romans earlier on and like, um, Fifteen is talking about receiving the spirit. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know, so you've got the same lumbano there, but we've received the spirit of adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, and bondage really being something you've subjected yourself to, but again being anew. So meaning you were so if you're not choosing to submit and partner with God, then that means you've chosen to submit and partner with. Fear, right? Because I mean, that's what that word fear is terror, but really, because anew means, well, you had already partnered with it, but now you've chosen to take hold of the things of the father instead of taking hold of the other. But then it leaves you with a choice, you know, that empty hand of partnership is going to grasp something. And is it going to grasp the desire of the father's heart? Or is it going to grasp what the enemy would offer? which is fear and terror, and that's how, you know, it's interesting because we've seen it played out in our world real time in the last few years, what the enemy has to offer is fear, which is terror, and that's how he controls people, through fear, fear of any number of things, fear of losing your fortunes, fear of losing control, fear of losing your life, I mean, fear of any number of things, but that's how the the enemy operates, which is why the love of the father, his perfect love, pursuing his heart and his ways, cast out all fear. Right. Because you've taken hold of that point of partnership.
0: And I think it's funny that we in general don't like to think that we've chosen something like we like to think, well, we're on the fence or, well, I can, I don't have to be committed wholeheartedly. I mean, I still go to church and I still do the things I just don't have to, you know, invest that way. And the reality is the kingdom is a choice. You know, we, I try, you know, as a substitute teacher, I try and remind the kids just through little things on that I write on the board. You know, you have a choice. How your day goes today is your choice. You know, you can allow the circumstances to affect your attitude or you can overcome those. And But the reality is you've chosen how you respond you know, again, in the spirit, we choose to either be fully invested, or if we don't choose to be fully invested, then you're not. You know, there's, which sounds like, well, no, duh. But I think we've, we kind of like to make this gray matter where we just kind of, yeah, I'm just, I see the benefits, but I'm not sure I want to actually like jump in fully. And it's like, no, pursuing God, pursuing after his heart has to be fully functional, fully all in. Otherwise, you get tossed by anything else that comes your way. And as Adrian said, it's going to be some kind of fear. You may not label it that, but it's some kind of fear. And so that's how you operate rather than operating out of that surety that you've got everything you need because you will lack nothing pursuing God's heart. Um, I'm going to close real sc- with this last scripture um, because it talks about those things that his spirit within us allows us to do. It's Ezekiel 36, and it says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So the promises we have are those who are pursuing the first things first are we walk in appointed places. So we're able to shemar or guard and bring forth his righteous judgment so that the kingdom can be established, so that those who desire to be sons of the Most High can learn to function and go out establishing more sons. I think that's an amazing objective. Um, And we do this out of a cheerful heart, out of a pure heart, and I think that that is really... (laughs) That happy river, right? That we've been talking about, being able to stand in that, declare force, not just good things, but to ateo to really ask those things that are on God's heart that you know He's purposed and planned, and that's where we stand. So, Father, thank you for uh, revealing your your word so clearly, for continuing to uh, draw us to d- to go deeper into Your heart and into uh, those gems that you want to uncover in your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.